It's a new year. We are almost one month into the new year, and I'm positive that many of us that made New Year's resolutions have probably already chucked them, especially if they have anything to do with food, because you know this church feeds everybody. <laughs> Did you know that a kindergarten teacher asked her kids to bring in something that signified their religion, and the next day this little boy comes in and says, well, I'm Catholic, and this is a crucifix. The little girl said, well, I'm Jewish, and this is a Star of David. Another little girl stood up and said, well, I'm Baptist, and this is a casserole. I actually went looking online because I thought it was kind of interesting to see what some New Year's resolutions look like. It said, learn a new party trick, including strange contortions. Buy only pants with no buttons or zippers. I'm for that one. Read more, even if it's only subtitles while you're binge-watching television. Care this is for me. Carefully read all of the instructions on a box before you throw it away so you don't have to dig through the garbage to find the rest of the directions. Be okay with only having one trip from the car no matter how many groceries you buy because our arms can only hold so much. I'm guilty of that one all the time. Stop lying to myself about New Year's resolutions. You know, there are some very weird New Year's traditions around the world. I thought this was really interesting. In Denmark, if you wake up and find a pile of smashed dishes at your front door, they like you. They save up unused plates all year until December the 31st when they hurl them at the front doors of your friends and family in kind of a vandalistic display of affection. In Peru, they have a festival, and it's called Tecanique. We'll go with that. This one, at the end of December, is all about people beating the daylights out of each other. Competitors face off in a ring for a round of bare-knuckle brawling, which is overseen by the local police, and it literally means when the blood is boiling. But apparently, all the fights are friendly, and it represents a fresh start in the new year. And my favorite, though, is colored underwear. In South America, your fortunes are determined by the color of your underwear. If you want to find love, you wear red. If you want to, if you want to gain wealth and luck, you wear gold. And if you just want peace, you wear your normal tidy whiteies. Anyway, we're 29 days into the new year, which we means we have 329 days to Christmas. Has anybody started shopping? <laughs> you know, we have a lot of year left, and I thought it's a good way to start a new year with, instead of New Year's resolutions, I'm, I'm feeling that this is more things that we can follow that are going to make our year much, much better. I started with, and I know you've heard these verses before, but maybe not quite in the way I'm going to tell you. And it's Matthew 6, uh, Matthew 6, uh, excuse me, I'm not doing well. Matthew 6, yeah, 25. And it says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, Let your, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not much more valuable than they? And who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And I skip down to 34. It says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that the truth? I wanted you to know, do not worry is not a suggestion. That is a command. Speaking of suggestions, I remember when some of our kids were learning to drive, the girls were trying to tell their highway patrolman father that if you come to a stop sign that has a white rim around it, that's only a suggestion. They all have white rims, in case you don't know. <laughs> Didn't go over too well. You know, the word strangle, the word worry actually means to strangle because that's what it does to us. It literally strangles the life out of you. You know, you think of whatever you're worrying about, you wake up thinking about it, you think about it all day long, sometimes you don't eat, sometimes you don't sleep because you're up worrying about it all night long. That's why God says don't do that because when you are so fogged in, tangled up by this worry, you're actually telling God, you know what, Lord, I don't trust you. I don't believe you have my best interest at heart. I don't believe you can take care, to, care of me. It's like God has helped a gazillion people in history, and he gets to you and says, darn, I just don't know what to do. That's not the way it is. God says, don't worry. And speaking of fog, I was born in San Francisco. I remember waking up to those fog horns that you would hear. I didn't, as a kid, I didn't understand what they were for, but they were kind of a comforting sound. But then we moved to Stockton in Manteca in the valley. If you've ever lived where there's Thule fog, oh, you cannot see in front of your car. And literally, when I was coming home from work, I, we, I drove from Stockton to Manteca, I would literally, when I got off the freeway, checked my odometer because I knew how many tenths of a mile it was to my driveway. And that was the only way I could find it. It was so bad. But that's what worry does to us. It just literally fogs you in. It takes everything else out. I actually read where someone estimated, well, if, it's, if a city is fogged in, it's seven city blocks would be fogged in. They shut down the city. They will shut down the airports. They turn off the buses. They do everything because you can't see anywhere. And someone, a mathematician somewhere, decided that the number of fog droplets to fog in that many city blocks would take 60 trillion. I have no idea how he knew, but he did. But if you take that 60 trillion droplets and you condense them down, they will be about a half a cup of water. A much ado about nothing. And that is what our worry does for us. It holds us captive. You know, Satan, if you know Jesus and you have accepted Jesus, Satan can't take you out of his hand. But he sure can incapacitate you. He can make it to where you can, you can achieve absolutely nothing for God on this earth. And believe me, look around. There's a dying world out there. The great part of doing something for Jesus, the most important part, I think, to me, is the blessing you get out of it. So you are missing out on so much. So the first is, take your cares, put them at the cross. Give it to Jesus. Walk away. Quit picking them up. As long as you keep picking them up, he's going to let you have it. The second one 
is Judges. First Judges, excuse me, Judges 1, 19. The Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had iron chariots. And I know exactly what you're thinking. What in the world is she going to do with this? Well, let me tell you, back then, you need a little history behind this. Back then, um, let's see, if you go back one book to Joshua, that's when the Jews, you know, they had wandered, they got out of Egypt, they had wandered in the desert for 40 years. They um, finally come, the, the older generation who doubted God and who were so um, unbelieving, they didn't have faith and they spoke against God all the time. So God said, you know what? You Jews that have done this, you are not going to enter the promised land. And unfortunately, Moses got put in there because he was the leader. And so that generation has died off now. And now the Jews go, are ready to go into the promised land, which the book right before is Joshua, where they go into the promised land led by Joshua. Well, the next book, Judges. These judges are not what we think. They're not wearing black robes and sitting in a courtroom with a gavel. Twelve men, one woman, which was not Judge Judy. Uh, they, they were more of, um, instead of judicial, it was more heroic is what they were. They were, they actually, God used them and set them up and they passed, they passed his words on in the way of judgment. They had the promised land given to them, but they now had to go in and clear all the evil people out. There were people like the Canaanites who were terrible. They not only sacrificed their children, they tortured each other. God gave them years and years and years to repent. He never did. And he said, okay, you're going in the promised land, but you've got to clear it out. So we come to Judges 1.19. And if you actually read 1.1 through 1.18, you will see that they were doing a great job. But the Jews asked of God, they said, who's going to lead us to do this? Who is going to be our leader now? Joshua has, Moses died, Joshua had died, Caleb, Caleb is still around. But God said, Judah, the tribe of Judah, which is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Do you know what Judah means? Judah means praise. Before we start anything, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on in your life, start with praise. Because boy, God will just open doors. When you praise him and you tell him how much you love him, you know, truth known, if God never does another thing for us other than dying on that cross, which was way more than what we deserved. So start with praise. I love that. And it was the tribe of Judah. It wasn't just one man. And 1 through 18, they're just wiping out the Canaanites left and right. And he gets up on this mountain. Now he can see this gorgeous valley below him. And he is afraid of the chariots. Wait a minute. Did not you, didn't you hear about all of the plagues in Egypt where God saved you and brought you through? You know, didn't you hear about the boils? Do you know what Passover is about? Where, where um, the angel of death passed over all of the Jewish homes and saved them? You got to the Red Sea and you saw God open an area about five miles wide to get three million people across in one night. Don't you remember that? Don't you remember then Pharaoh's army, his war machine was in the middle, 500 chariots that got covered with the ocean. 
Don't you remember Joshua walking around Jericho and only blew the horns and it all fell down? And here is the tribe of Judah. They're going, oh my gosh, they have chariots. We can't take it. How like us. So many times what we do is we focus on the obstacle when all you have to do is raise your eyes a little higher and focus on God. See what God has done for you. Remember what God has done for you. I know we have a few missionaries here, and I know um, Bill and I have been on about 20, I've been on about 25 mission trips with um, teenagers to Mexico to go build houses. We see miraculous down there. We see incredible, incredible things happen that you just can't, I mean, it's unbelievable. We can't trust the police. We can't speak the language. We're in a country that doesn't, didn't really want us there, but we saw God move in incredible ways because that's who we had to rely on. We couldn't rely on ourselves. And I'll just share quickly one particular thing that happened that stands out in my mind is we took about, we used to take about almost 100 people down and we would build eight houses. And we had a chapel bus um, that held 60 and then we had a bunch of cars behind that, support cars. We got to Ensenada and we were actually going two hours below Ensenada. We get to Ensenada, and the bus needed gas, and he pulled into a gas station, and when he did, he wiped out that oil pan underneath the bus. So he pulled, he heard it, pulled the bus over, and the bus literally looked like it was bleeding. This oil is kind of red. It was terrible. Well, everybody gathers around me. They're going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I said, well, the first thing we're going to do is pray. So we, we got in a huge circle, and we prayed, and then the boys grabbed their guitars, and they started singing praise songs. And a few minutes later, one of the guys who worked there came out, and he spoke perfect English. And he said, I tell you what, my brother-in-law has a shop around the block. You take it over there, they'll fix it. And so I took one of the leaders with me, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, we may never be seen again. We walked over there. They fixed the oil pan in less than 20 minutes. By the way, this was Good Friday. At noon, they closed down, and they are done through Easter. So in other words, if we couldn't get this fixed, we are sitting in that parking lot till Easter was over. So um, we go. They took 15, 20 minutes. They fixed it. They only charged us $17. We go back. The boys dive under the bus, put it back on, and we're on our way. And we got about a block away, and I had kids in the car with me, and I also had one of the leaders. And he said, did you tip him? And I said, oh, yeah, I gave him a tip. He said, let's go back. I want to give him some more. We went around the block, came back in to uh, that service station, and they didn't have a clue who we were talking about. They had no idea who that person was. He did not work there. They had no idea who he was. I'm telling you, we, I, could, I should write a book on the miraculous things that we saw God do because we had to rely on him. We could not rely on ourselves. And that's what we did. We put our eyes on God. We took it off of the school bus, and we said, Lord, we are trusting you to do something. And if that means we're spending Easter here, we're going to do a heck of a time doing it. But God was gracious. And I'm, I'm telling you, not only don't worry, take your eyes off obstacles. God has put something on your heart, some ministry or some something he wants you to do. Maybe it's a job and you feel like it is so overwhelming. There's no way you can do it. Absolutely none. I'm telling you right now, take your eyes off the obstacles and start with praise and start 
keeping your eyes on God. He does miraculous. And the last one I wanted to look at is Philippians 3, 13 through 14. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, we have, our memories sometimes are too good, too good for us, because, well, we have selective memory. Sometimes we tend to forget what God's done for us, but we sure remember if somebody's hurt us, don't we? Somebody, and, and all of us have had this. We've all been hurt. We've all had hard times. And sometimes it's really hard to forget, and it's hard to forgive. But I have to tell you, God tells us to forgive other people, not for them, for us. That's the reason. You know, it, um, anger, bitterness, hatred that we hold is the same, it works like worry. You get up every morning and you think, I should have said this, I should have done that, why didn't I do this? And it eats you up. It poisons you, not the other person. The other person is off living their life, happy as a clam, if clams are indeed happy. But <laughs> there's us, you know, you're just wrapped up. And again, you cannot accomplish anything for Christ when that is what you are focused on. And you may be thinking, but you don't know what they did to me. And you're absolutely right. I don't. But I have to tell you, forgiving someone is not the same as condoning the action. Because we don't condone the action. It does not even mean when you forgive someone that you're their best friend or you're back in a toxic relationship. That's not what it's about. What it's about is getting peace of God back in you. And as long as you're angry or you're holding on to that madness or, you know, you see somebody and you freak out, what's that doing? You're, they don't care. That's why God says you have to forgive. It is for you. It is not for the other person. And sometimes the hardest person to, let, to forgive is ourselves. And God says, why? You're new every morning. You're born. This is new. I have forgiven you. And sometimes that is the hardest thing, is to forgive ourselves. But Jesus, thankfully, chose not to have a good memory. He chose to throw our sin away when we ask him to forgive us. And I have to tell you, I've, I've been hurt, and I had someone in my life that was a continual pain um, in my heart, and other places, but in my heart. <laughs> and um, the only way I got over it, was every time that anger started to build in me and started to build over and over, I would ask God to help me forgive them. And I have to tell you, it doesn't happen overnight. You just It took years. But I knew that God knew I was trying to do what was right. And did the person ever respond? No. But I knew that I was doing what God wanted me to do. You see, if you don't let go of the past, you are never going to grab hold of the future. You're never going to get what God wants for you. And I think I shared this with some people, but I was at camp with teenagers, like we did every year, and I was dumb enough to go on what's called a high ropes course. 
Now, the high ropes course is like 30 or 40 feet in the air. Across trees, they have a wire, like your tight rope walking, a wire. And then above your head, there is another wire. And yeah, you're hooked in with a harness, and you're going, I hope that kid knew what he was doing. And there's just ropes that come down every so often. The key was, when you get out on this wire, that's going like this. Because I wondered if the kid was even making it shake more. I'm holding on to a rope here. And I need to get to the other rope, because you do that to go all the way across. I would not do this again. <laughs> You're holding on. But in order to grab this rope, it's put far enough that you can't grab it till you let go of this one. They did that on purpose. So at some point, you have to let go of this one to grab that one, 30 feet in the air. But what, later it hit me after the fear left my body, um, what a great illustration. Incredible. If you do not let go of holding on to the past, you are never going to get what God has for you, ever. Later on, I went on to break my toe on a repelling, but that was a whole other story on a different stupidity. I pray that this year, this will be a year that you will take your worries and your cares and you will lay them at Jesus' feet. I pray that this can be a year that you can keep your eyes on God and off the obstacles that are standing in front of you. I pray that this can be a year that you can finally let go of the past to see what God has for you. And you know, as I did this, I really would be extremely remiss if I didn't address kind of an elephant to me anyway. I realize that some of us are going to have a really difficult time. Some of us had a really difficult time last year, and we're going to have a difficult time this year. And I don't mean to make light of that in any way, shape, or form. I really don't. And if you were to bring me whatever problem this is, I know it's something I can do nothing to fix for you. But I can pray for you. And that's who the real fixer is. And I, when I was um, out of surgery last year and feeling at my worst, where I really wondered if I was going to wake up the next day, a very precious woman who happens to be my um, daughter-in-law's mother, sent me a wonderful song that meant so much to me. And even today, as I, as I listen to this song, it brings tears to my eyes because it says exactly my prayer for you. And when I told Jimeline, I said, can you play this song for me? And she said, better yet, I can sing it. So would you guys come do that? Listen to the words. It is amazing. Inspiration, I'll 
words meant as much to you as they meant to me. I have passed it on to several people that have gone through hard times this last year, and it just speaks amazing. We have a God of possible. He can do anything. 